0: And welcome to Way Too Seriously, the podcast where we watch kids' movies and take them way too seriously. I'm Paul Moffitt. I'm Jan Moffitt. And this week we watched and we'll be talking about the 2012 movie Paranorman. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the making of this movie, Jan?
1: Paranorman was made in right. 2012. It's a 3D stop-motion animation by the studio Laika. Distributed by Focus Features. Lakeka is... Uh, they make all claymation stop-motion animation movies that are beautiful to look at. Mm-hmm. It stars um, Anna Kendrick, Casey Affleck. uh Paranorman is played by Cody Smith-McPhee, who would go on to be Nightcrawler, mm. if that's... Um, directed by Sam Fell and Chris Butler. And a uh, story by Chris Butler as well. Can you want to tell us what it's about?
0: Sure. So, Norman who can see the dead is an 11 year old boy who lives in a new England town that has a history of Puritan witch burnings and is um, doing a play about the evil witch who cursed the seven people who accused her on the anniversary of her death. uh, The witch rises and brings the seven people who cursed her back from the dead to be zombies Mm -hmm. Norman's uncle can also see the dead and gives Norman the task of preventing the dead from rising just before the uncle dies and passes on so that Norman can't ask him any questions about it. Mm-hmm. Norman and a band of uh, misbit helpers drive around the city trying to find the place where the witch died so that they can read the, from the book and stop the zombies from rising. And they successfully do. How good... Is this movie, Jan?
1: Well, the animation studio Leica—it's named after the first dog who went into space. It is. Makes these uh, these stop motion animo- stop motion animation movies: uh, Coraline, this one, Paranorman, uh, Box Trolls, and Kubo and the Two Strings. Those are the four they've made. Mm-hmm. They are always fantastic, mm-hmm. and they're ten- they have so much attention to detail and I think we even said this as we were watching it, was uh, because it's filmed, it's real objects that are being filmed, this, the composition of the shots are much more cinematic. Yeah. And to watch this as an adult, you really notice, like, the beauty of how it's made and how, like, complicated and painstaking it is to make this movie. And it pays off, I think, like this movie and the other ones that they've made. Maybe we'll talk about them in future episodes. I would really like to do
0: Kubo and the Two Strings one day. But what I said when we were watching it is it's beautifully animated, but it also is just really well directed, which is a thing Mm -hmm. that I don't always notice about animated movies. As you said, the shot composition. And even apart from that's possible because of the stop motion, but it's not Something to take for granted just because it's stop motion. Yeah, absolutely. The shot composition is really uh, artistic and often idiosyncratic in this movie. Yeah. And it really is reminiscent of, like, horror movies. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think it's very well done in that way. I think the story is quite good. There's a turn a little more than halfway through the movie where you think that the witch... I had forgotten. We've seen this movie before and I had forgotten what happens. Mm. And so about halfway through, two thirds of the way through the movie, I was thinking, is this a movie where the Puritans were right and the witch really is an evil witch? And then no, no, nope, <laughs> they not. they make a turn. Of course, it isn't. <laughs> and they make a turn where it turns out the zombies aren't trying to kill anyone or eat anyone's brains because the curse was not intended to punish the townspeople. It was intended to punish the zombies. They get up and everyone attacks them because that's their punishment. And it turns out the curse wasn't so much a curse by a witch as the main gr- the the witch in the past was an 11-year-old girl who could talk to dead people just as Norman can. Yeah. And when she was violently killed, she's more like a poltergeist than a ghost. Yeah, so she absolutely. can uh, inadvertently, mostly, control yeah, the dead. wreak havoc. And wreak havoc. And it's made text that as time has gone by, she has lost her humanity more and more. And what Norman needs to do is not vanquish the witch, but uh, remind the little girl of who she is. Mm-hmm. I thought that was, I mean, we'll get to the way too seriously about yeah. it, but just in terms of plotting, I thought that turn was really well done because they establish early on that, like, one of the first things that happens is the zombie says, you must stop. And I was like, oh, he's going to say you must stop us or you must stop the witch. Like, Yeah. But then they really play that very well where yep. zombies are are a threat and then it turns out the mob is the threat and the zombies are the ones being hurt and mm-hmm. norman even says like
1: and, and it's not what you think the curse isn't about the zombies hurting you yeah. it's about you hurting
0: them i figured it out uh just in that terms was a good of, twist yeah yeah
1: this is the first time for way too seriously we watched without our kids yes because Paranorman is kind of really scary yes and i mean Our kids are kind of wisses when it comes to scary movies, although I think kind of as they should be. But uh, so I'm not sure who Paranorman is aimed at. I guess it's aimed at kids who can handle this kind of scariness or it's aimed at much older than a traditional animated movie might be, which is fine. And there's a lot, I mean, obviously we think that adults should watch animated movies and.
0: Yeah, you're right. I think it's, like our nine-year-old might be able to handle it. Yeah, yeah. A nine-year-old could handle it. I think our nine-year-old probably could handle it. Our six-year-old definitely couldn't. Couldn't. Yeah. But in three years from now, when they are twelve and nine,
1: yeah, twelve-year-old
0: would still be into it, and a nine-year-old would be able to handle it. Yeah. So I think it's it's kind of a preteen. Yeah. Preteen movie. Because we say it's scary, it's not as scary as a straight horror movie would yes. be.
1: Yeah. It reminds me of the horror movies of my childhood, the like the childhood horror movies, like Hocus Pocus or Goonies or things like that. Where, like, frankly, those really scared me as a kid, but they were intended; they were designed to be towards a certain age. Yeah, and our kids are a little bit young for that still.
0: So, this movie, in terms of you mentioned Hocus Pocus, just while we're talking about the quality of the movie. I said this right before we got on mic, but it's very uh, entertaining and creative in a lot of ways. But in another sense, it is exactly Hocus Pocus meets The Sixth Sense. Yeah. Um, A lot of the story is. Yes.
1: I mean, but it's also, maybe that's on purpose because it's playing on the
0: Yeah, and it does, it takes Hocus Pocus and like, but the witches aren't bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the witch, witches is a witch, only one, and she isn't bad in the end. Yeah.
1: Um, okay, so highlights and lowlights. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I digressed for a second, but uh, I think highlights are the, as you said, the twist of the story that that it is that the witch isn't bad after all. That it's about mob mentality and and bullying. It's funny. It has a lot. Despite being scary, it has a lot of funny moments. And mm-hmm. as an adult, of course, you see those a little more. And you see the the references that they're making to horror movies. And I quite liked that. Mm-hmm. What about you,
0: Highlights? I think for me, the major highlight is just the visuals. I think it's mm. the yeah. direction, the shot composition, and the even the character design, the detail of the backgrounds. That's the main highlight for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the story quite a lot also. Yeah. Lowlights. lights?
1: I don't know. What are the lowlights? <laughs> like, I'll say
0: this movie was better than I remembered it being, and I remembered yeah. it being pretty good.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not the greatest movie in the world. Like, it's not like my top ten of even the ones that we've done on this podcast. But it's good, and it's uh, it's a fun it's a fun movie. I think lowlights for me are the pacing of the plot drags a bit at times, mm-hmm. and. I think there's some way too seriously parts that are lowlights for me. So let's get into that. what I was going to
0: say is the low... Well, we're going to talk about enjoyment first. Right. But I was going to say the way too seriously is where the lowlights lie for me. Except maybe the... As you said about pacing, and for me, the pacing moment is when he gives a speech to the mob... I quoted it because I think it's good, but I think it needed an editor's yeah. knife, that it's a lo- It's, a, it's you know, long. big moment of tension. And this happens a lot in movies, right? A big moment of tension, and then some well-meaning character speaks to the crowd a speech about how they should be good and true. And they're all like, wow, you've changed our minds. Yeah. And in this movie, he does it, and they don't listen. And then his sister says the same thing, and then they do listen, and yeah. it's... We could talk about the seriously of that, but just in terms of the quality of the movie, we have two sincere earnest speeches to a mob right back-to-back, back, and they're both longer than they need to be. Yeah, yeah. That's, the That's what I like mean me.
1: by uh, by dragging, is is that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. So apart from the quality, how much did you enjoy this movie?
1: Quite a lot. Me too. Yeah, I think that... <laughs> It's, you know, I can't wait till our kids are old enough to want to watch it, that it could be kind of, it could become a Halloween staple. And it's not specifically a Halloween movie, like they don't reference Halloween at all, but I, but it definitely has that tone of, of Halloween. That's why we're releasing it so close to Halloween.
0: We are. I agree. I enjoyed it. uh, As I said a second ago, I think I enjoyed it more than I expected to, and I expected to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. I watched it and was like, this is even better than I remember. Mm
1: -hmm. There you go. So let's take this way 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 too too seriously. seriously.
0: (laughs) You give me a look like I'm being crazy when I do that. I'm pausing because I know that I'm going to want to add the echoes. (laughs) So I don't want the echoes to step on what we say next. (laughs) In my mind, I'm thinking of my future job as editing. Yep. (laughs) So what is it? Where do you want to start with taking this movie way too seriously?
1: I think I want to start where we often do, which is... There is a group, there's a ragtag group of kids, and how many women are in it? Once again, there is one.
0: So does this movie pass the Bechdel test?
1: I forgot to pay attention. I didn't notice if it did.
0: I think that in when the class is rehearsing for their play, the precocious smart girl mm-hmm. talks to the drama teacher about whether the depiction of a witch as ugly with a long nose is historically accurate. Right. So they do. Pat. It does. I thought that maybe
1: the mother and the daughter also had a conversation.
0: I don't think they do. You don't think if they do. They okay. may have. Yeah. But I. I don't think they do. Okay. Certainly, there are several female characters, but they are tend to be cordoned off from one another. Yeah. So there's the mother who mostly talks to the father. Mm-hmm. There's the sister who is part of the
1: main characters. Main yeah.
0: characters who are going off solving the problem. There's. The smart girl who I think we should talk some more about. Yep. I can't remember her name. Yep. The sister's name That's... is Courtney. Yep. The smart girl's, I can't remember her character's name, but she's worth talking about in a second. There's the drama teacher uh, who is interacts with the mob.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And there's the witch. There's the witch. There's the police officer as oh, a yeah, woman. police officer. She maybe talks to the mother at some point. I don't know. I think maybe she only talks to the father.
1: Yeah, I feel like she only talks to the father.
0: So there's a, quite a few uh, female actors. Mm-hmm. But the police officer certainly isn't named. The drama teacher, I don't know if she's named. Mm-hmm. And they don't tend to interact with each other.
1: Yep, that's true. I
0: felt, that, it's
1: it's it's the smart girl. It's the girl, this, this smart, precocious girl who is at school with them, in the play with them. And then when it comes, and it feels like she's friends with Neil, who is the little chubby kid. And it feels like she is almost part of their group. And then when it comes time to solve everything, she's not there, even though they call her and she gives valuable information. She's that standard horror movie trope where she's giving, you know, imparting the important information. But she doesn't get to be part of the group.
0: And And I, I really, really wish she had been. They even lampshade it, but don't fix it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like They call
0: her up and she says, so you're off having a supernatural adventure and you call me to do your homework for you? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, I guess we do. And she's like, ah. So, Norman, let me get this straight. You guys all go on this big supernatural adventure and you're calling me in the middle of the night because you need someone to help you do your homework? Uh, Yeah. Nags at them for a while because women are shrews, yeah, and then does their homework for them and disappears from the plot again, yeah, and like you movie are aware that you are sidelining this character who has valuable things to contribute for mm. no good reason.
1: Why couldn't she have met them at the town hall? yeah, that would have been,
0: and then yeah. the next scene, like she sends them to the town hall to find out information, uh. They get to the town hall and they are bad researchers, so they can't find the thing. And, like, she was just established as a good researcher. If she met them at the town hall and joined the team.
1: Yeah. I feel like that would have made the movie better.
0: Yeah. Just to have this extra. And can we, I mean, she's, uh, can we talk a sec about the fact that she's sidelined is a big problem. But can we talk about that trope of the smart, nerdy girl who doesn't actually get to be part of the team yeah. or even sometimes does get to be part of the team, but she's the smart nerdy girl. Yeah.
1: She never gets to be the hero.
0: She's Willow. She's Hermione. Yep. Uh, even if she was part of the team, she would be Willow Rosenberg and Hermione Granger. Yep. Who are both better than the protagonist, <laughs> but aren't the protagonist. Yeah, because... exactly. And both explicitly, both of those characters, and I'm thinking especially of high school uh, Willow. Yeah. ...do their friends' homework for them. Yeah. That absolutely. is a thing. That is a thing. Why do g- smart girls do the boys' homework for them? Can you so talk to that, me so about that? The,
1: so that the boys can keep up? Because, uh, I don't know, it's terrible. It's because their their smartness has to be diminished. Mm-hmm. It's because they have, they have to earn every scrap of their intelligence but the men the boys in their life don't have to mm-hmm. they can just rely on smarter people who have who have actually studied and developed their smartness and it's this creep- the privilege it's the privilege yes. of the male characters to be able to rely on these smart female characters smart competent female characters
0: that's why on our podcast, I like to ask you questions and then you answer them and I say, mm-hmm, and then act like I thought of it. <laughs> exactly. I'm doing
1: all the homework here.
0: <laughs> but it is. It's about uh, privilege and it's about they have to be extraordinary to earn their place and the male characters don't. And its we talked about this... Um, in a previous episode, I can't even remember what movie we were talking about. We talked about uh, not much being expected or demanded of the male characters. Yes. So Norman doesn't have to be particular. Norman has to be able to speak to dead people. Yeah. That is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something he's born with. Something he's born with. He doesn't have to be particularly intelligent, particularly hardworking, particularly insightful. Yeah. And the. Other people who are helping him on the way, Neil and his older brother and the uh, bully, Alvin, mm-hmm. none of them are particularly competent or yeah. intelligent or useful. Yeah. Courtney isn't either.
1: Well, that's what I was going to say is you have a woman on the team, a girl on the team who is less than useless. She, I mean, and they're, they're playing on these horror tropes on purpose. Yes. That Courtney is a shrieking blonde girl who is incompetent, but they don't subvert it at all. And that's... I don't like that. I think that's a problem.
0: Her moment is when she finally uh, believes in her brother. Yeah. Um, And even that, like, it's touching and heartwarming, but it also... What's the place for women is supporting men. Yeah. Um, And their job is to support the men who are going to do the real work and get the real credit. Let's talk about the witch and bullying. Because yeah. in the crucial moment, she's all full of uh, emotional distress and electrocuting things. Uh, and he calls her a bully. He says, you're just a bully.
1: Mm-hmm. They hurt me. So you hurt them back? I wanted everyone to see how rotten they were. You're just like them, Agatha. No, I'm not. You're a bully. No, I'm not.
0: What is this movie say about bullying? I feel like it's a major theme of this movie. It is a major theme of this movie. And I think it's actually doing a really good job with it. Yeah.
1: I feel like it's doing a good job in that it is showing that bullying is something you do, not someone you are. Yeah. And so when they first introduce, for example, Alvin, he is a bully. And as the movie goes, he gets more and more humanized to realize that he's just doing those things. He isn't a bully. And the witch is bullied by her, by the, I mean, bullied and put on trial and killed by the Puritans, but she... And let's
0: just call it murdered.
1: Murdered, yes. Murdered by the Puritans. And she is, and she thinks of herself completely as a victim, but when she lashes out, she is being a bully. And when she recognizes that is when she breaks is that she recognizes that just because she's been bullied doesn't mean she can't also be a bully.
0: It is a, I think, trite truism to connect fear and bullying. Mm -hmm. But I think this movie does a far better than average job of showing how that works and how that can be true. Because people say like, oh, you're just bullying because you're scared. But they don't stop to think scared of what and whom and why. Yeah. And this movie really does. And it seeds that idea of it's okay to be scared if you don't let it change who you are. Mm -hmm. And then the reason that the Puritans kill her is because they're afraid of her. And they say, like, we were wrong. Mm -hmm. That was wrong of us. That was wrong of us. Yeah. And then she is scared but angry and loses who she is. And they bring that idea back again. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: then... I like to, I mean, so the way that she doesn't recognize that what she's doing is bullying because she doesn't recognize herself as someone who has power. So can't you, I can't be a bully because I'm not the one who's powerful. Yeah. But she also doesn't recognize herself as a bully because she doesn't recognize herself. Yes. Right. And it's again, the, the, uh, ubiquitous theme of children's movies of who are you, um, But connecting it specifically to fear. Yes, absolutely. And how fear can... uh, Influence who you are. Influence who you are. And I really like that uh, they connect that to Neil. Mm -hmm. Neil, who seems like just the uh, main character's uh, doofy sidekick. Mm -hmm. But one of the first things he says is, people pick on me all the time and uh, what are you going to do?
1: Like, yeah, there's always going to be bullies. There's always
0: going to be bullies. And he is the one who teaches Norman in the movie, you know, not to hold a grudge, not to be angry. And it's a little facile the way that he does it, like, because he he's just like, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Norman then uh, expresses that same thing in more nuance and depth and the witch even more so. Yeah. So they take that idea... And they flesh it out and develop it and apply it in, like, what does it actually mean to, and it's not about forgiveness. I think forgiveness is important, but this movie isn't about forgiveness. No. It's about fear
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, a fear overriding who you are. And so the girl, like, the girl says, don't you want to make everyone else hurt when they hurt you? And Nielsa, "And uh, Norman says, yeah, but what, would the, what good would that do? Yeah. I think you got so scared you forgot who you are. And that, I mean, so, and then comes back again to, I think, Alvin, the bully, who joins them on their whole quest to, on their whole quest to prevent the zombie uprising. Yeah. Has he, we stop for a second on Alvin before mm-hmm. we move on and yep. like, does he, I kind of like that he doesn't seem to learn much.
1: No, he doesn't really. He just comes to realize that, Neil, uh, that Norman is his friend.
0: Yeah. We kind of see him as human more fully. Yeah. But he isn't suddenly a great guy. No, not at all. He's still, like, frankly, he's still sexually harassing her, her the sister yeah. in the last scene, scenes.
1: Yeah.
0: No, maybe not in the last scenes. He's still trying to, you know, yep. bravado and act tough to pick up girls uh in i think toxic but also ways that the movie is uh mocking yes absolutely but it, we see and and we don't make text like he's picking on norman because he has a hard home life and uh that may all be true or it may not be true mm-hmm. but we ha- we do see like he responds to fear by by uh with aggression mm-hmm. and he's afraid of things that are different and yeah uh why do people pick on you neil because i'm fat and i sweat when i walk and yeah. i have irritable bowel syndrome <laughs> and i and because he's different yeah and that what makes people afraid is not just the dead but it's, it's anything any, any kind of difference any kind of difference yeah. which brings us to i think uh the other big theme of the movie, or the subtext mm-hmm. in the text, what makes Norman different is that he can talk to dead people.
1: Yeah, he sees and talks to dead people. What's the subtext? But the subtext is anyone who is different, mm-hmm. anyone who who deviates from the norm, mm-hmm. is some kind of is ostracized and finds themselves. Uh, isolated from others because of that because of that difference and it's it's a metaphor for a lot of things mm-hmm. but it can be a metaphor for uh, queerness and for uh, for he's, rec- he's uh, recognizing in himself a difference and a change and has to reconcile his relationships with those around him based on that
0: yeah and I think that the movie at several points makes Norman a metaphor for homosexuality.
1: Yeah,
0: um, like his father says, you know, his limp-wristed, fruity,
1: yeah, hippy dippy, right. connecting with, with right de- yeah. dead people,
0: but like, yeah, he, his father is coded. His father's relationship to him is coded as a hypermasculine father who is. Uh, um, rejecting his son for being gay. Yeah,
1: absolutely, absolutely.
0: And then father's relationship is the strongest, but there's other moments where where he says, you know, just because I'm. Oh, when he says, "I was born this way."
1: Right. Yes. Because yes.
0: I was didn't ask to be born I didn't like ask this. To be born like this. Yeah. Is another like pretty direct connection of Norman to uh, homosexuality. Yeah.
1: So. In that, we do have a gay character in this movie, and that is the burly brother of Neil, Mitch. Uh, the entire time, we have Courtney always trying to, like, hang off of him, and he's fairly, like, blasé towards her. And then, towards, and then like, one of the last moments, he's like, yeah, my boyfriend would really like that. And so it's made very explicitly text that, oh, he's been gay all along, and that's why he hasn't cared about Courtney and his... And, has been a bit of when you know it beforehand a bit of a gay stereotype in that like he's into like lifting and going to the gym and that kind of thing but and which i think it's really good that they have this uh gay character on screen in this in this movie directed towards children and this even the wikipedia article was like this is the first time an out character has been in a in a children's animated movie which i don't know if that's true or not i guess it must be but you don't know it until the last second. So, I think... So, like, is that good? Is that bad? There's good things and bad things about that.
0: Yeah. I think there's one aspect is it's interesting that the mo- in a movie where there is a metaphorical subtext of homosexuality, there's also a non-metaphorical textual gay person yep. um, who does not seem to be experiencing any of the confusion or uh ostracization that the metaphorically gay person is yeah that's just interesting yeah there's something about him turning out to be gay at the last moment i'm gonna make a case for why that's good okay and that is as you said when you look back on him you can see aspects of him that are a gay stereotype but none of them are strong enough for him to be coded gay Mm -hmm. right um so he's a character who you get to know, you get to f- like to a certain degree. You think he's funny. You, you appreciate him as a character, and then you the movie reframes him. Yes, and it's a way of forcing the audience to examine their own biases. So that if you suddenly don't like the character, you're forced to confront the fact that nothing has changed about him at all, except that he's suddenly labeled as gay. Mm-hmm. And if you Still like him, you are given the opportunity, assuming... I mean, it's possibly assuming a level of bias in the audience, I think, to do it in this way. But it's giving you the opportunity to say, oh, uh, athletic jock can be a gay guy, and that's like... And I couldn't even tell in this movie. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anyone is likely to make that uh, consciously... But subconsciously presenting a character who is just a character Mm -hmm. and then like, oh, by the way, he was gay the whole time. And there's actually some things about his behavior that are uh, fit that. Yeah. Yeah. It forces you to either accept uh, unconditionally or confront your own uh, biases. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So I would argue there are some good aspects. All of what you said was good but the negative aspects are the last minute thing and that it's played for laughs yes that it's the joke is on courtney mm-hmm. who has been like in love with him the whole movie and trying to get him to notice her and trying to get him to notice her and then oh hey i have a boyfriend and she's like so and like and the you want you laugh at courtney for being deflated by this and for it to be uh a joke that maybe actually now that I'm saying this all out loud, the joke is fully on Courtney. It's It's not not on on him. him. It's not on him at all. It's not funny that he's gay. It's funny that Courtney assumed that he was straight. Yeah. So actually, yeah, maybe in the end it is a good thing. I, I, I'm still questioning the the last minute thing, but I do think that, that it is a positive representation Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, and like we've said, I mean, it's partly necessary for the joke. But like we've said about representation in other ways, the less plot necessary it is, the better the representation is. Mm-hmm. So they make the joke out of it, but it also he could be he could say my girlfriend would like that, and the joke would essentially be the same joke. Yeah. So the. That is good because it means that he is not a—he's not functioning as a token gay character. He is right. just functioning as a character who is gay.
1: Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of funny about him that I think is good that they wait till the last minute to reveal that. Because then things like uh, his car falling apart and Courtney and him being like, oh, my baby! And Courtney thinking that's her. And then him going to the car and being like, oh! and then it falls to pieces yeah it's like a lot of that is way more funny when you before you know it and then it's i don't know why i don't know why <laughs> it's it's just the the building up of he doesn't care about courtney in a romantic way at all right and, and then at you... the last minute you find out oh here's why
0: if you were if you're allowed to believe that he might care about Courtney romantically yeah, all the way through, it makes those jokes, makes those jokes a little funnier. funnier. Yeah. It also there's a um He's an interesting character in other ways because he's again this juxtaposition that we talked about in Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs mm. of like muscular jock and uh some things that don't fit with that stereotype. Yeah. And for the first seven-eighths of the movie, Mm -hmm. that is, he is a caring and responsible older brother, despite being a meathead jock. Yeah. And then you find he's also gay. And does that change the, does that also juxtapose unexpected stereotypes? Yes.
1: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
0: I kind of like that uh, rug being pulled out from under us. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Is there anything to talk about in terms of race in this movie? Everyone's pretty white except the cop.
1: Yeah, I think the cop is a bit of a... The cop is a bit of a stereotype. There is an extremely uncomfortable line in this movie. There is. That is said by the cop that is... uh, It's said in 2012, and so, I don't know. I guess that excuses it ever so slightly,
0: but... I don't think it excuses, but but it explains maybe. She
1: grabs a shotgun from the townsperson and sends something along the lines of, you know, oh, it's the cop, as is the job to be like overarmed. And
0: she, no, you know, she says, say? she says don't you be shooting at civilians. That's our job.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's our job. And like, oof. I think it and would be. To, watching that in 2017, that feels really. Gross, but I mean, at least it's coming out of the mouth of a character of color, but does that make it worse? I don't even know. It's just uncomfortable.
0: I think it is pretty, uh, we both said to each other, like, too real.
1: Yeah, exactly. Too real.
0: I think it would be worse if it was coming out of a white man's mouth. Yeah. But only slightly. Yeah. I think it's already pretty... I don't think that... Actually, I don't think that the movie is bad for saying this, but I think the movie is, like, inadvertently putting their finger on a really toxic aspect of uh, American culture. Yeah. And police culture. And police culture, yeah. She's just a... Not just... There's a lot of things about her that are stereotype. Mm -hmm. Black woman stereotype. Yeah.
1: And the... the, What is even her name? The... Smart girl, smart capable girl, uh, is also a woman of color, and so there's all the things that we said before added on top of that that she doesn't get to be with all the white protagonists as well. Yeah. So that's even another point in their detriment for that. Yeah, I agree. But I think overall, do you have anything else to specifically call out? Yeah, I think overall, though these are all small things. I think overall, the the seriousness of this movie holds up to a lot of scrutiny.
0: Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think that the sidelined smart girl is the biggest issue by far. Yeah, I agree. Um, So, time for rating this movie. Time for rating this movie. How good is, is this movie? Good. I would say very good. Very good? Is it seriously good? It's seriously good
1: it's seriously good
0: it's not seriously very good but yep. it's seriously good seriously it's very good. good and seriously good
1: yep and i look forward to someday sharing it with our kids
0: yes if you want to talk to us about this movie or any of the movies that we have ever talked about on way too seriously
1: or even tell us what your favorite halloween movies are we're going to do another halloweenish movie next week and tell us if you if you want re or watch any halloween movies around this time of year
0: yeah absolutely you can do you can do that on twitter at W-T-S-Cast.
1: You can send us an email, cast at gmail.com.
0: We have Facebook slash W-T-S-Cast. We're on Reddit, sort of. <laughs> We're on... Because the, no one talks to us there. All the
1: links will be in the show notes for those things. You can also support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash clockworkscast, where you can uh, kick us a dollar a month or whatever you want to get some little extra bonus things from us.
0: And the more we support we get on patreon the more podcasting we'll do so if you like our podcasts there can be more there could be more (laughs) we could do five a week instead of two
1: (laughs) nope all right so let's wrap this up i've been jan moffat
0: i've been paul moffat make uh, sure you aren't normal
1: have a spooky week
0: um there's don't
1: Don't rise people from the dead.
0: Tagline of this movie, it's all fun and games until somebody raises the dead.
1: Let's hope that doesn't happen.
0: Okay. (laughs)